Welcome to Telford Elim Sunday Podcast. We are so glad you could join us. To keep up to date with all that's going on, please go to telfordelim.com. I do hope you enjoy today's talk. What about these verses? 1 Samuel 2 verse 30. It says this. Now there's a lot of other stuff in it, but it's the verses, the piece that I want to pick up is, I will honor those who honor me. I will honor those who honor me in 1 Samuel 2.30. I was reading about a man who was a very successful businessman. God used him in amazing ways. But somebody asked him, why are you, because you're no different from anybody else, why have you been so successful? And he says, as a young boy, I read 1 Samuel 2.30. I will honor those who honor me. And I thought, God, I'm going to build my life upon that. I will honor you in every single area of my life. And as a result then of doing that, I've always put him first in everything I've sought to do. He has honored me. It hasn't been my ability or my capabilities. It just seems that God has honored me because I've sought to honor him. I want to say to you, if you want to live a life that's rewarding, then seek to honor God in all that you do. He goes on to say for the rest of that verse, the one who despises me, I will despise. So there's another bit about that that goes into it. But specifically, I will honor those who honor me. God loves to honor his people. Do you believe that? He loves to honor his people. A couple of weeks ago, I quoted from 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The law of seed time and harvest. Wherever you sow, you reap. And, but if you sow sparingly you will also reap sparingly only a, a little bit but if you sow bountifully then you will reap bountifully at the heart of this is generosity of spirit and that's what I've been looking at and what I want to pick up again so if you've got your Bible I want to look at today at the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 the Matthew of the the, the talents is really so famous we know it so well but I thought I would just pick up a few things out of it today. In Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, we find this parable. And basically, there are three servants. But what is the parable of the ten bridesmaids who are getting their oil ready? But here we have this. And in it, the master entrusts his property to his servants while he is going away on a trip. In that context... Talent could be weight. So 36 kilograms was a talent, or 80 pounds was a talent, or 6,000 denarii, if you did it in money terms. One denarii was a, a laborer's wage for a day. So 6,000 is a lot. So whenever the master gives two talents, he's giving 12,000 days' wages to that person. Whenever he gives five talents, then he's giving 30,000 there's wages to that person to go into it. And even the one talent we think was only one, but actually it's 6,000 days of wages for a laborer that he's given to him. So he invests, he entrusts his property to his servants while he's away. So he entrusts his riches to his servants. He invests his grace, mercy, love, spiritual gifts and word in his people. In a sense, God is looking for people of faith who will take risks for the growth of the kingdom of God. So let me read from verse 14. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver, five talents to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you give me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you give me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. A couple of things before I read the next bit. The master sees it as a small amount, and yet it's a huge amount. It's huge, but he saw it as small. But also the fact is that because they've been faithful in it, he gives them more responsibilities. But he also said, let's celebrate together. Let us celebrate together. And that was at the heart of what he was sharing. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. The actual word there for bank is, the, is actually the lender's tables that Jesus overturned in the temple. So he's invested with those who sat at the tables. And what they would do, they would take it, they would give you a marker of what you had given to them, and they would invest it then in small amounts all around the place. And then they would give you a return from it. It was actually harder to bury the, the money than actually to go to a table and just give it to somebody. But the man in the parable is revealing his true heart. He didn't trust anybody, neither the master nor in any other people. And so he buried it in the ground. And that's the big issue. Then he ordered, take the money from his, this servant and give it to one of the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even with the, what little they have, will be taken away. Now throw that useless servant into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we know God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Some think this is based upon a, a true fact that happened. Herod Oculus was, went to Rome to get uh, his uh, protectorate, his kingship authorized or endorsed by the emperor. And while he was on his trip to Rome, the Jews didn't want him, they hated him. 
And they sent a delegation and letters to the Roman emperor saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. We don't want his rule. And they tried to get the emperor to stop the uh, ordination of this new king. So you can imagine whenever Herod Orculus was endorsed by the emperor and he came back, how uh, he was not happy. He was so unhappy that he got rounded up 3,000 Jews. He took them to the temple and he murdered them in the temple precincts. He was so angry with the Jews because of what they had done. Well, he was away on a trip. He had left everything there and he had gone and tried to get himself ordained, invested in us. And then when he came back, he took his vengeance out on them. 3,000 died in the, the temple precincts. So some people say that there's a basis to this, and the Jews would have known that very well. But nevertheless, the, t the parable is there. So what does the, ta the, the talent or the, this investment of silver include? Personal abilities, such as being a good relationship builder, or good at networking with others, or good at organizing, or being practically good to be able to make new things. Perhaps it's fixing, or cleaning, or keeping things running smoothly are good at making money to be able to resource God's work in the church. All of those things could be the talents that we're meaning. But in the parable, the first two saw God as a loving, generous, and kind master. They had a relationship. They understood who the master was. The other guy who buried his talent didn't understand the master. He saw him as judgmental, demanding, and austere. The first two were motivated by a relationship of respect, love, and faith. It was their delight to go and make money for their master. But the other on misunderstanding harshness and not being in tune with the master's thinking. Why? Because he thought the master was like himself. He doesn't trust the bankers, and he doesn't trust the master. And so he's not commended. The other two, they go out and they make a lot. Two things about it. First of all, it speaks about the generosity of God. What we think is amazing blessing, God just sees it as a small thing. Because he is such a generous-hearted God. The second thing about it is, relationship counts for everything in the kingdom of God. If you think God's like yourself, then you will treat God as you treat yourself. If you think God is better than you, then you will treat God differently. And that's at the heart of this parable. It's relationship with God and knowing the master. That's so important. The challenge to me from this parable are as follows. And I thought of six questions. I guess I could have come up with more. But at the heart of this parable is a kingdom-minded emphasis. Serve the master. It's a good thing to serve the master. With whatever he gives you, go and serve the master but am I kingdom minded am I kingdom of God minded if I am then I will be generous if not then I will be something different the second one question that struck me was do I truly understand the Lord's heart do I know who he really is or do I think of him in terms of something different than he is the first two had a relationship based on understanding. The third one had a relationship based on mistrust and misunderstanding. 
and fear. The first two, faith, love, was at the heart of the relationship. The third one's the big one for me. Do I appreciate the value of what he has entrusted to me? Because he has. Do I appreciate the value of what he has entrusted to me? Because we look at it and think of it in terms of um, iron and stone and wood and hay, and yet he lo- he's invested silver in us. He's invested precious, costly things into our lives. And that's a big challenge, isn't it? The fourth one, do I apply the law of reciprocity? Do I apply that law? Luke 6.38, give and you will, will receive. Your gift will return to you in full press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Do I apply the law of reciprocity? Do I know that the more I give to God and the more I give in God's service, that that's better? Or am I stingy? The fifth one, am I committed to the, the law of seed time and harvest, the ministry of giving? Do I recognize that when I give of my time, of my talents, of my spiritual gifts, I'm actually doing a good thing. It's a righteous thing. But as I do that, then it doesn't go into the ground and sit on top of the ground and produce nothing. The law of the kingdom is when you sow, then you will reap a harvest. And whatever you sow, if you sow uh, bad manners, if you sow things that come from selfish, fleshly motives, then that's the harvest you reap. If you sow into the life of the Spirit, through the Word of God, under the grace and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, then out of that comes a good harvest. The final was, do I understand the power released, released through the investment of talents, time, and treasure in my life? That whenever I make them available to God and His service, then those things take on a whole new meaning. There are six big questions, and they could change how we face Christ. God loves a person who is generous-hearted and a cheerful giver. This lifestyle really pleases him. If you want to please God, practice generosity. Because I've said it so many times. God lives with open hands and open hearts. So often we live with closed fists and closed hearts. Because we are not generous like he is. But he calls us to open our hands and to open our hearts. So perhaps you're somebody and you're, you're a hard worker. And you say... I've got a good work ethic. I wonder, have you sanctified that work ethic? Have you set it on the altar before God and said, okay, God, I offer myself to you? Because remember, in the parable, the servants serve the master. And we think we serve the master by coming to church or whenever we do spiritual things. But the kingdom goes much beyond that because it talks about our character It talks about what we do with our time. But it also talks about what we do with what God has blessed us with. So servant master means Lord and one who follows. It's interesting, whenever Jesus talked about the servant master in other contexts, he says, 
whenever a servant and a master come in last thing at night, the master doesn't say to the servant, just sit down beside me and we'll sit here. He says to the servant, go and prepare my meal first and then afterwards you can see about yourself. And how often do we think that actually God is our servant? And so we do our thing first and then after that God will sort you out. Or you can put it in another way. We think that when I'm ready in two or three years' time, then I'll be able to offer more. Instead of realizing that actually you might not see the two or three years, but now is the time to start. If you want to be generous of heart, you must start here. Brian Houston, I quoted in the first week, talks about that generosity is something you have to practice. If you don't practice it, then it doesn't become part of your life. It's so against human nature that we have to practice generosity. But is he our master? Do we know and understand who he is? Is our T. Kendall right? I believe he is. We are so made that until God has all of us, we are unhappy with ourselves. Has God got all of me? Has he got all of me? Has he got my heart and emotions? Has he got my will, my choices? Is he the Lord of my relationships? Is my body dedicated to his service? Is he the focus and my passion? These are big questions. They're really challenging questions. Do I believe, 1 Samuel 2.30, that if I honor the Lord with everything, then he will honor me? Whenever I pray every day, I, I know myself really well, I hope, uh, but I come and I, quite often, I ask for forgiveness for my big flaws. And, but the last one I always ask for forgiveness before I ask that he would sanctify me is that because I'm not wholeheartedly devoted to Christ. There are times I am, but other times I'm not. I pick and choose the moments of my service. The servants didn't pick and choose the moments of their service. They were laying their lives down for the master. Do I understand the law of seed time and harvest? What I sow and the amount I sow determines what my life will produce. So what is my life actually producing? Is it producing fruit that lasts and will bring honor and glory to the master? I will give an account, not just for the times I preached or the times that I led church, but I'll give an account for the times whenever I relaxed when I was in the golf course which is not that often but it happens but all of those other times how I interacted with others how I thought about people I will give an account imagine if we started to live with a liberal attitude to life a generous attitude to life with our time, our talents and our treasure he would honor us much more than he already is do I understand the law of reciprocity? Kingdom-minded giving unlocks God's generosity towards me. Perhaps you're dealing with a God who seems to have closed fists. Perhaps the way to unlock that is that you start to open yours first, and then in response, he opens his to you. He's already been gracious to us in Jesus. That's what this table's all about. Do I realize just how much God in Christ has invested in me? Do I know how much he's invested in me? He's invested so much. 
So, do you trust the master enough to open your hands and open your heart to him and say, here I am, wholly available. I'm not going to work according to my understanding or my good intentions. I want to be led by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and be directed by the Spirit. Because you're finite. God's infinite, but you're finite. So if you give all your resources all the time, you will burn out, you'll burn up. I was trying to think of another one, but I couldn't think of it. But your life will not reach its potential. Under the guidance of the Spirit, three things happen. First of all, you enter into his peace, which is a good place to be, because his peace keeps our hearts and minds. The second one is we enter into his rest. That's where we have stopped striving to do something for the kingdom of self. We're actually wholeheartedly devoted to the kingdom of God. And the third thing, and I think this is just amazing, he fills us with the spirit. He empowers us for life. And we stop moving in the strength of our human abilities and we step into the supernatural. Do you want to be a supernatural person walking in the power of the supernatural? then generosity is part of the release that takes us into that. Do you see your God as loving, generous, and kind? Or do you see him as judgmental, demanding, and austere? That's a big challenge to all of us. So we're going to play a couple of songs. If he's playing this chance for ministry, for response, perhaps you need to come forward and open your hands before God and say, God, help me with this. In the first service, I went forward to get prayer because I want to be more generous than I am. I realized that I put conditions upon my generosity. I will be generous whenever I feel I can be, and other times I believe it's too much of a cost and I don't pay the price. So I'm just human like everyone else. I realize that, but I want to step beyond that into that realm of the Spirit, where it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. It's not the sort of life we want to live. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Telford Elim Sunday podcast. To keep up to date, go to telfordelim.com or find us on social media.